ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us for this latest episode of the INC Preview Show. My name is Carl Bainbridge and as you can see I am joined by my guest today, Mr. Gareth Kyle. And Yo. somewhere on planet Earth, joining us by audio, it is Mr. Claire Richardson, you know him better as Uncle Joey MMA. Yeah, co-host pretty much, back again, pleasure to be here and it's always exciting to talk about uh, my horrible predictions and upcoming fights, uh, me stumbling over my words, not thinking about records properly, and uh, yeah, just forgetting names yeah, and Yeah, you were one of the... Yeah, glad about, to be here. <laughs> you were about one of the ten people who picked Felicia Spencer to win? Yeah, yeah. Pushing fights and narratives that don't make any sense, but just going with my heart. <laughs> and I want to say a big thank you as well to everybody who is joining us around the world, and thank you for all the support you've been giving INC. I have to say the situation that we're in right now isn't the most ideal. Obviously, we're doing everything through Skype. I hope to get the studio sorted out so you can see us behind us there. I've decided to get a few more preparations in place. Hopefully, once the lockdown eases and we can actually be within a meter of each other, we'll be able to do this in person once again, which I'm really looking forward to. I have to say as well, it is an absolutely gorgeous day over here in the northeast of England. As you can see, I've got my uh, bright polo shirt on. Quite a summary feature considering we are going to Fight Island on Saturday. Oh yeah, I was just checking out my window. It looks beautiful as well. Uh, yeah, Fight Island, Yaz Island. Uh, it's going to be pretty interesting to see. Uh, I hear that there's going to be like five testings that the fighters are going to have to go through before they eventually even get there. So that'll be pretty interesting to see who ends up actually in the octagon but yeah, it'll be pretty pretty interesting week on twitter that's i think we do sure. need to make it clear though this is not an island because i follow yeah a, yeah artificial land fight mass. artificial <laughs> landmass because uh yaz island was actually um created i know it was created uh, for the formula one uh, there's a theme park on there so it's not really an island in the way that we all thought it was. We were expecting like palm beaches and like trees and you could see the ocean in the background. Very similar to what uh, Bulldog were doing uh, back when they were around over in Costa Rica. Um, but the most important thing is we've got events going. And I think as well, even though there's a lot of logistical issues that come with Fight Island, which we'll maybe go to in a lot more detail, it has made this event feel special. I think that International Fight Week needed to have some sort of novelty because as good as the apex has been i felt with ufc 250 that show did not feel special just being in what was basically a warehouse yeah the I, I was definitely a problem too small it favors massively favors the wrestlers and not strikers and i know ironically enough there has been a lot of finishes but Nah, that extra, it's an extra 2.5 foot on every side and it massively makes a difference when you're kind of controlling range and things like that, like if you are a striker. So I agree. I think it's like almost watching an ultimate fighter fight in the house, if that makes sense. That's what the kind of atmosphere mm -hmm. it feels like to me. In some ways, I have liked that. I, I enjoy hearing the corner advice. I, enjoy, I can appreciate the ground game a lot more without the crowd because... The crowd see any sort of grappling and they just start booing immediately. So I have been able to enjoy it. I mean, when Bryce Mitchell was just going for twister after twister in his fight, that was amazing to watch. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's been some really, really good grappling exchanges. I, I totally, totally agree with that one. Absolutely, 110%. Uh, that 
Yeah, totally. In terms of the grappling as well, if you're a purist as we are, and you like watching all assets of it, then yeah, it's fantastic. Well, yeah, Stipe, he was complaining because uh, his card, when he was fighting Cormier next, it was supposed to be in Vegas at the Apex, so that was going to be in the, I think that was going to be in the small, the small uh, cage as well, so he's complaining about that as well, because that would have favored Cormier getting into the clinch a lot easier and such, so yeah, that could be a problem for title fights. I definitely think title fights, it definitely does have an impact when it comes to like a wrestler versus a striker type of uh, styles like that, clashing, it definitely creates a problem. And I think soon we'll be discussing in a lot more detail when it comes to UFC 252 because Cormier versus Stipe, mm -hmm. as it is right now, will be headlining that event. For now though, we're going to be focusing on Saturday's card. And the big story that we need to bring mm -hmm. up first and foremost is what happened to our main event. Uh, the original plan was for Kamara Usman to be defending his belt up against Gilbert Burns. Burns, of course, having this sort of fairy tale run up the rankings to go from an unranked fighter on the prelims of Fight Night Uruguay to becoming the number one contender, fighting for a title. And a lot of people, I include myself in this, thinking he had a very good chance in that fight. Unfortunately, though, um, Unfortunately, though, he was uh, diagnosed with COVID-19, had to pull out of the card. Um, and at this moment in time, we record this at about 4 o'clock British time. That's about 11 a.m. in the U.S. We don't know what that main event's going to be. All indications seem to be that Jorge Masvidal has been paid. He's going through all the medical checks. And fingers crossed, as things stand right now, Jorge Masvidal will be taking that fight on a week's notice, which is as ballsy as they come and obviously we'll discuss that in a bit more detail so the way we're going to be doing this we're going to be speaking as if Masvidal versus Usman is going to be our main event if it doesn't then we'll just keep this up anyway uh, we'll all have a bit of a laugh about it we'll just say hey remember that time we all thought this fight was going to happen but we're going to be working as if Usman versus Masvidal is going to be the main event stay tuned to the show we'll be discussing that fight hopefully in a lot more detail No, I, th I personally think that is that is the fight. I think before Gilbert Burns's rise, that everyone expected to see next. If you look at Jorge Masvidal's 2019, name me a name me a fighter that had a better 2019. You've got three finishes, two performance of the nights, the caliber of the opponent as well. Well, depends on your thoughts on Ben Astrin, but if not, and just look at his rise, and that is the fight that, barring pay if you're talking about pay with the fighters, mm -hmm. which is a big subject at the minute, then that is the fight that I think everyone expected. But then, out of nowhere, here comes Gilbert Burns. Fantastic fighter. And I think Gilbert Burns has literally been in the right place at the right time. He's took the right fights. He's made the right decisions. And he definitely deserves an opportunity on Fight Island to headline that card. That is without a shadow of a doubt, because he, he absolutely 100% impressed me two or three weeks ago fighting mm -hmm. Tyron Woodley. Tyron Woodley was fired up, and I think, yeah, absolutely, definitely deserved the title shot, 110%. So if he doesn't fight him, I want to see him get that opportunity somewhere down the line. Well, yeah, that was like a fairy tale ending for Gilbert Burns. That was just a perfect setup for him to win that title. He just, right time at the right place, or like exactly like what you said. But uh, I believe this was supposed to be the original fight, Masvidal versus uh, Usman, but... 
that's when uh, Masvidal came out with those uh, videos saying that the, he was having troubles with the pay and all that stuff and all that was going down. So I, I guess that definitely had an impact on it. And now they're definitely uh, must be paying up now. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be interested to see how much they are going to pay him. That's my next question. I'd yeah. love to see how much they are going to pay him because he's holding all the cards. He's got a, a tremendous amount of leverage now, isn't he, to be fair, way to have before. Yeah, they're not going to be paying Colby Covington <laughs> as much money to fly to Fight Island. They're going to pay up right now. I feel like if they got the opportunity, they're going to try and go for it. And we'll discuss that fight in a lot more detail later on in the show. The first thing we're going to do, though, is we're going to be talking about our prelim fights. And I have to say, you can see our graphics there, which I spent about 10 minutes putting together. We've got ourselves a really intriguing card of fights. It was expected to be a lot better than this. Uh, Frankie Edgar and Pedro Munoz was going to be on there, which of course was Edgar's mm -hmm. bantamweight debut. Uh, Cyril Garn and Shamil Abdurakimov was also booked for this card. Unfortunately, that fight fell through. They're being rebooked elsewhere. We still got ourselves, though, a really intriguing group of fighters. Great mix of weight classes. And a guy that you, Clay, will know very, very well headlining the ESPN previews. Yeah, that'll be a extremely interesting fight. That'll be uh, pretty interesting. That'll be uh, probably the one that I'm most looking forward to, to be honest, because uh, Yuri, I've seen him rise up, really. Uh, he was the first guy to get me into rising, pretty much. So I've been watching him grow. And uh, after seeing that CB Dalloway knockout, he definitely, this definitely is time to shine. He's got all the makings to be... Uh, Starring what would you say are Yuri's big strengths do you feel as a fighter? What what can fans who maybe don't watch as much non-UFC stuff, what can people expect of him? Well, it's hard to say this when I <laughs> make this comparison, but he's like a much more calm and more... He seems like if uh, Johnny Walker like uh, matched up with like Mark Henry or Trevor Whitman, somebody that got him under control and is striking under control because he throws those crazy like flying knees and those type of crazy type of long kicks and stuff like that. He's a very explosive fighter like that, but he's always under control. He never seems to run out of cardio or anything like that and he never seems to, he might get taken down here and there, but he always seems to get right back up and that's most of the time how he wins. The guys can't keep up with his cardio. Because uh, he was one of the last guys in Ryzen to voluntarily take 10-minute first rounds, just like in Pride. So he's definitely got the card. And he's up. got himself a very tricky opponent as well in Volkan. I think if you need a good indication of mm -hmm. potentially being a top light heavyweight star, I feel Volkan's one of those guys you need to go through. And I actually think as, I actually think as oh, well, yeah. Volkan went through this phase where he was getting all these quick knockouts. And that basically got him the title fight against DC. And I sort of felt that did him a disservice because people were expecting him just to get these sort of quick, uh, short uppercut knockouts like he was doing against Sir mm -hmm. Knolf and Jimmy Manoa. I think now he's dropped down the card a bit. He's starting to be judged on his own merits. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I liked him when he fought against Rakic. I thought that was a good performance. And especially the Latifi fight. Yeah. He looked fantastic in that match. Yeah, definitely. That's what I'm kind of worried about because uh, he's a great uh, leg kicker. And Yuri, he's got that huge wide stance, and you can see it in the CV Dalloway fight. He's chipping away at his legs a little bit. So, uh, yeah, it'll be a really great matchup, to be honest. All the other runs signed, I think this is probably the best debut fight you'll see out of them. 
out of all of them that are getting signed. In terms of other fights which are happening on the prelims, obviously uh, the lockdown restrictions mm -hmm. are being eased off. So we're seeing this with a lot of the international fighters on this card. A lot of fighters from Brazil, a lot of fighters which are based obviously yeah. in Russia, uh, a couple of UK guys in there as well, which we'll come into in a lot more detail. So things are just starting to slowly get back to normal. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think I think as we go through it along, as you see a lot of the cards as well, not just this particular one, but if you look at the Fight Island cards, I think Dana has tried to give these guys that haven't had a fight since March and haven't had the opportunity to fight in the Apex, I think he's tried to give them all the opportunities to to kind of to fight and make money, so totally agree. I mean, I, I'm looking at the card here and it is a varied mix of kind of all nationalities, if that makes sense. So yeah, you've got mm -hmm. some from the Oceania, kind of Australia, New Zealand. You've got obviously some from Brazil, a lot from Brazil, the odd American mixed in here and there. But no, I agree. I think it is a varied card. Out of any names outside of Prochaska that maybe take your fancy, Claire? I'm definitely interested in the um, Andrade versus Nama Yunus fight. And I'm interested to see what uh, Taiburo is going to be like in his fight. Because he's, he's definitely a heavyweight that's sort of been on the rocks. <laughs> Definitely, I'd love to see your input on Tybura. I've never really heard you talk about him. I think Tybura can be a top ten heavyweight. Um, I think he's his ranking at the moment is maybe doing him a bit of a disservice, but he has been on a yeah. run of form. Uh, fighting a short notice replacement as well in Maxim Grishin, um, his original opponent, who uh, I think was Alexander Romanov, which I think is up there as one of the best names in MMA history. <laughs> Although his nickname yeah. wasn't the Tsar, which I was really disappointed by. It had to be the Tsar Romanov. I'm guessing I'm the only one who knows my Russian history there. Um, in, terms, the <laughs> in terms of other names which stick out for me, I'm really curious about the guy who's opening the prelims, Leonardo Santos, because I've been doing a bit of reading on this guy. Here we have a guy, 17-3 and three record. He hasn't lost in 11 years. And he has wins over mm -hmm. like guys like Kevin Lee. He beat Kevin Lee at UFC 194, I think. Unbeaten for 11 years. 40 years old, but he hardly ever fights. So it's like all of a sudden they just pull this guy out yeah. of nowhere. And he's going to be fighting against uh, Roman Bogatov, who's an unbeaten fighter. Just some of the bizarre stories we've had from the COVID era of the UFC. And this is another example of that. So he's a guy I'm sort of intrigued by. The other one as well, from a local perspective, got to keep my eye out for the guy opening Fight Pass, Davey Grant. Uh, just based a few minutes from me over in Bishop mm -hmm. Auckland. Uh, we've had him on the show before. Very nice bloke. He's going to be taking on Martin Day, so hopefully Davey can um, get a uh, win for the Brits. Uh, Danny Henry will be fighting on the card a bit later on as well. I'm very intrigued by the prelims. And I think as well, at the moment, we've got ourselves a full card, so could be very entertaining stuff. I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned Davey. I was going to shout him out later if you hadn't. I didn't think you'd forget, but no, um, massive, massive respect for Davey. Watch him on the Ultimate Fighter as well. I know he's had some tough fights in the UFC, but he's coming off a win in his last fight on, in Moscow, I think it was as well. So he's used to fighting overseas, so hopefully that will help him and let's get him a win on, and to start it off, hopefully. Fingers crossed. And he looked okay in that win as well. I think he fought uh, Grigori mm -hmm. Pavel. So, yeah. He did, he looked well. Yeah, Those cater looked... versus... Uh... Magomed Sharipov. Better you than me. I just call him Zabit. <laughs> I think I pronounced that pretty well. Very good. You Very did. good. 
Um, so that's the prelim sorted out there. I have to say, a very intriguing fight card. Obviously, Uzdemir and Pachowska is the one that's going to be most intriguing in regards to the light heavyweight division, which is really starting to find its mojo again. For us, though, we're going to be start. We're going to be focusing first and foremost on the opening fight on the card. We got ourselves two ladies' fights, which are on the main card. That doesn't happen all that often. First one is taking place in the UFC flyweight division. And speaking of anomalies that can only happen during the middle of a pandemic, Paige Van Zandt's fighting again. <laughs> yes. Yeah, she must need the yeah. money, to be fair. I think she makes more money from Instagram than she does actually fighting these days, so... I can believe that, yeah, definitely. So Paige is back in action. She's going to be taking on one of the big rising stars of women's MMA, which is Amanda Hebas. The fight taking place at Flyweight, which is interesting from Hebas' perspective, because this is going to be the first time she's ever fought at that weight class. Paige has had herself a couple of fights up there before, uh, lost against Jessica Clark and then beat Rachel Ostovich in her last appearance. We'll start first and foremost by talking about Hebas though. And I mentioned before plenty of times on this show that Strawweight is one of the big rising divisions in the UFC. And if you look at names like Tatiana Suarez, Weili Zhang, uh, Marina Rodriguez, a lot of top names coming through. And Amanda Hebas is up there as another example of this. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, if you look at her record, she hasn't lost since 2015, so she's five years unbeaten. She's obviously, she's had the two decisions the last time she fought, and before that, two finishes, so she's absolutely in the run of form. She's fought once this year already, so she's fairly fresh, so yeah, I, I think this will be a re the only thing I'm a little bit concerned about, well, not really concerned, but it'll just be, it'll be not how she does the weight cut, but she's had plenty of time to get that, so I think that will... Yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to that fight, to be fair. I'm, my money's on Rebus, to be fair. And I think there's one. a lot of other people feeling that same way as well. If you look at the betting odds, uh, Amanda Hebas is a minus 900 favourite for this fight. Paige Van Zandt comes in at plus 550. Um, the things I love about Hebas in terms of her as a fighter, obviously she's only had three fights so far in the UFC. Obviously, we know about her jiu-jitsu and her grappling base. I think her judo especially is up there as some of the best in the division. But I think her ground, her way that she can neutralise fighters on the ground, and she's fought some good grapplers. I mean, Mackenzie Dern is one of the best jiu-jitsu players out there in the UFC. Mm -hmm. Yet you saw that fight between the two. And yeah, you can maybe argue it was Dern's first fight since she came back from having a baby, but Dern was made to look ordinary in that fight. And the throws that Hebas was utilising, very impressive. Yeah, really, looking at this fight, it will be, uh, the betting odds, <laughs> they are a bit crazy, but you can definitely see where they're coming from. Like, Hebas has looked in top form, and Paige Van Zandt, like, really, your last win was Ostovich, and really, <laughs> since then, it was Rawlings back in, like, 2016, so... Yeah, it'll be pretty interesting to see what will happen after this fight, but my bet is on Paige Van Zandt being a Bellator couple with her yeah, husband. Yeah, I, I agree. I want, I want to just want to see how motivated she is to fight. Because yeah. she's got a lot of other things on the plate, hasn't she? So this is this will tell us how motivated she is to fight. It's her first fight in a year and a half. She's on a big card on the main card as well. Mm -hmm. so this will tell us a lot about her future. And you can maybe make the argument as well. I think the UFC... If the UFC could sense that a fighter is on the way out, they usually sort of, dare I say, like to bury them a bit to try and build up 
Because the one that always sticks in my mind was when they put Johnny Hendricks and Paulo Costa on the main card of 217. I mean, yeah. you had Hendricks who was yeah. fighting in a higher weight class than what he really should have been in there. Paulo Costa, who was just like 230 pounds of bulk. And it, it felt like a fight <laughs> that was done to A, kill any sort of stock for Johnny Hendricks if he chooses to go to, say, Bellator or wherever. And also, it's a big name to build up Paulo Costa. And this sort of feels like the same thing for me. And I think that's maybe a bit harsh on on Paige Van Sant as well. Because you've got to remember, Paige Van Sant at one point was in the same position that Hebas was. Maybe she wasn't a skill, but she was in the top 10. She got herself wins over like Felice yeah. Hervig, Kylan Curran. Uh, got herself the main event. Chambers. Alex Chambers as well. That was a main card fight as well. And then, mm-hmm. obviously, the sport just evolved. And Paige didn't reach the same level as what was expected of her and now they're sort of disposing of it's a really fickle business and I think she's maybe an example of that agreed yeah uh, going on to Paige Van Zandt in terms of the technical skills obviously people focus on the looks and they focus on the stories about where her future is away from the UFC the thing that always stood out for me especially early in her career with Paige was she was a very scrappy fighter Maybe not, maybe not the best grappler, but she had a lot of heart and she was able to sort of claw herself into positions where she was able to get the win. Because when she fought Felice Herrick, very even fight for the first two rounds and then Paige just persevered and managed to get that late finish. Alex Chambers, very similar situation. Again, scrappy fight, then got the armbar. Yeah, when you look at it, like, if you look at the down the record now, it's mostly submissions with the odd with the odd TK finish but there's a lot of decisions as well like you said so I mean I'm just trying she's yeah that when she's lot when she's won she tends to either win a decision which is a scrappy decision or she tends to kind of throw up an arm potentially re naked choke I mean I think from what I can see she's yeah in the UFC she's had two TKO finishes uh, but to be honest with you, the person she finished was Beck Rollins. She's a really, really tough Australian girl who does bare-knuckle boxing as well. She's a really, really good fight in her own right. So that does... She's really hard to finish. So, yeah, fair and, play. And with the that finish one, as no. well, if you remember that fight. Yeah, that was a brutal... That was a yeah. brutal it was sort of like... It was sort of like a, can you remember Paolo Di Canio when he scored that goal against uh, Wimbledon? He sort of like does a bicycle kick in the air as he hits it. That's basically what Paige Van Sant did to Beck Rollins. Yeah, like a switch, like an inverted switch kick. Which again, I think takes a lot of skill, and it, as it, as good as that was to say, it's maybe what that was a it long was a time long time ago, ago and it's yeah. sort of maybe one of the issues that came with Paige Van Zandt later on in her career, that she started to be more focused about the flashy moves. She was always trying to get these kicks. She was trying to go for the spinning back fist all the time. When she fought Jessica Clark, ended up breaking her arm in that fight. When she actually got back to what made her name, which is her grappling, she showed against Rachel Ostovich, and that was that was a hell of a fight. I didn't expect it to be all that great, but some of the scrambles in that match were very entertaining. The back take, especially, to set up the finish, very good. So, I think Paige is maybe a bit underappreciated as a grappler. Yeah, a bit underestimated. I mean, Rachel Ostovich is a really good really good ground game and fighter and wrestler as well the rest of credentials are really good I watched her on the other fighter so yeah absolutely I mean I mean it's if you look at her stats as well I mean obviously I know she broke her 
Aram and the Jessica Rose Clark fight, which is obviously why she was inactive. But when you look at her when she's the best, she seems to be best when she's an active fighter, yes. when she's fighting mm-hmm. a lot. If that makes sense, that's one thing I can see. Obviously, the last year, she's kind of the last win she had was January 2019. So it, she seems to be at her best when she's active, and she's still a fairly eight and four. I mean, she's not. You know I mean, she's not a 35 and six girl fighter or anything like that. She's still a fairly new fighter. She's still young. So I know, obviously, know it changes when you get in the UFC, but she's still only 26 year old. She's got still. She hasn't hit a peak yet, has she? So she's still got plenty of time to yeah, learn. The question is motivation. Obviously, she's doing all the Instagram yeah, stuff. Yeah. Uh, she's a married woman now. And as we've mentioned before, indications are that she's going to be pursuing a career over in Bellator after this fight. That 8-4 and four record as well, maybe the wins haven't been the best for Paige. But if you look at the people she's lost against, Tisha Torres, Noshi Minat, Rose Namajunas, um, yeah, Jessica Clark, maybe. I, I have issues over whether Jessica Clark is elite level. And Michelle Watterson. I don't think there's any shame in losing to those uh, free fighters especially not at all I mean we know what Rose is like we'll talk about mm-hmm. Rose in detail later on Tisha Torres is on a tear she just performed very well. very, very impressive a whole a whole team did as well there was th- I think there was two or three female there was definitely two female fighters on the same card that had been trained together because it was Eubanks Sujara Eubanks and Tisha Torres they both be- beat their and I'm sure there was another lady uh, as Ra- well she had another female fight who yes so they all won that, all three of them respectively. So that they're in a really, really good camp. And then Michelle Watson, I don't need to mention Michelle Watson's obviously a veteran. So yeah, one hundred. They were both pushing uh, Watterson and Page at that moment. That was uh, that like sort a of like. Night, didn't yeah, they were trying to push Watterson hard after that fight. Like that, that fight was pretty much like a sort of like a who can we showcase after who wins this so <laughs> they were basically looking at the marketing I actually for that remember fight. that fight card as well because the fourth of the four fights on the main card it was Paige Van Zand, Sage Northcutt and Mike Perry it's like the ultimate meme card <laughs> <laughs> well you were saying there did you obviously one once she beat Paige Van Zandt Michelle Watson who did she run into then Rose, and then after that, Tisha. So, yeah, you, they've got a, like I said, the quality of them too is just evident by the people, Michelle Watson, you know what I mean, getting beat by them too. So, yeah. Where do you stand on Hebas Clay? Uh, we've been talking a lot about Paige. Obviously, there's a lot of speculation about her, and you can sort of understand why, because there is still an air of novelty about Paige Van Zandt, but we can't overlook Hebas. This is a very talented girl who has a chance to make a real name for herself. Yeah, I definitely think all the skills are there for Hibos. She's uh, in complete form. She's at top of her game. I just don't see her losing this fight, to be honest, if you ask me. so. <laughs> but uh, she's just top of her game right now, honestly. That Mackenzie Dern fight, when she uh, walked into that fight, Mackenzie Dern was undefeated at that time, and there was still some steam coming off of Dern because I remember for a while people wanted to see Dern get signed, so... That was pretty big upset, in my opinion, when that happened. So, yeah, it'll be impressive to see what will happen Because I think, fight. yes, we focused on the grappling as well of Hebas, which, again, showed itself when she fought not only Mackenzie Dern, but also Vanda Marcos as well. Marcos herself, mm-hmm. very good grappler. She's also combines it with the striking. Her use of the jab, the work on the body, the one that sticks out from my mind, if you want a showcase of Hebas's striking ability, 
go watch the fight she had with uh, Emily Whitmire. Like, she was working the body, she was, and the moment that uh, Whitmire started to get self-conscious about taking the body shots, she started going to the head, setting up the clinch situations to get the judo throw. A very good all-round performance. Yeah, you don't see enough of that in MMA, working the body, to be fair. But when people actually do start to do it, it pays dividends. Stipe, mm -hmm. Stipe versus DC, that's the big example I can think of in the last year or so. But no, people, like I said, when you work the body, it opens up the head. And obviously there's so, so much of head hunting in MMA. But MMA, mm -hmm. the body sets up. I mean, if obviously I know it's not a body, but how, how prevalent has the calf kick yes. been in the last two months, you know what I mean? If we, if, we can get the, if we can get the body work to the relevance of that, that finishes fights by itself. Here's the one concern I have with Amanda Hibas. She's only lost once in her career, and that came against Pollyanna Viana, who was also in the UFC in the strawweight division. So, it does show that for all the positives, she can be caught. And I know you can't read too much into regional losses, because fighters are still learning, trying to hone their craft. But, it, is, it does show that any fighter can get caught in a stand-up exchange, and as we've seen with the Breck Rawlins fight, Paige has a lot of these tools, she might just go for that sort of big Hail Mary spinning strike and catch her. That's it the is. MMA, especially these days. That being mm -hmm. said though, I think I'm going to have to go with my head here, I think that Hebas is going to be taking this one quite comfortably. I think Paige is resilient, she's strong, I don't see Hebas getting the finish, but I can see a 30-27. Yeah, I can see a dominant performance from Hebas, I agree. I can see a sweeping, sweeping the three rounds. And then the question becomes, what happens to Paige Van Zandt? It's the last fight on her contract. Free agency, a husband performs in Bellator. One championship are looking to try and sign a couple of big names to the UFC. Have any of those two options for Paige? Absolutely, I reckon. 110%. I think Bellator is pretty much uh, a guaranteed option. I don't think she would think about sign well she would probably think about it but i don't think she would seriously uh maybe uh consider doing it in one champion she could definitely see bellator trying to push that that bellator couple angle i could see them trying to push that hard like that's a great marketing angle for them so and i think that's where i see her going <laughs> and i think bellator as well could see the benefits of van zandt versus alima May. Yeah. yeah yeah they could definitely set that up i could see that so that's our predictions there. Are we all going for Amanda Hebas in this one? Yep, me. Yeah, unanimous decision by Amanda Hebas for me. And Claire? Yeah, same there. Unanimous decision, Hebas. So Amanda Hebas is predicted to uh, get the win in this one. A lot of people feel that same way as well. Minus, minus 900 favoured. Although, <laughs> although that was the same odds that... Um, that uh, I mean, when Roxanne Bonaferri fought um, Macy Barber, same odds. Yeah, but in that one, I was uh, I was saying Bonaferri could win that. You remember that? We got that on audio tape. You do. I, uh, you I do. Was saying, <laughs> I was saying that Bonaferri would probably win that. So, but no, I see I see Boswell in this one yeah. definitely. This next fight though could be a lot harder to call because we're going down the way. We're going down to the UFC strawweight division. As mentioned before, I think it's up there as one of the best divisions in the UFC. This is going to be a great showcase of it. Jessica Andrade is taking on Rose Namajunas, the number one seed up against the number two seed. A rematch from their fight at UFC 237. Andrade won that one. 
However, many people felt Rose Namajunas was dominating that fight up until a big slam knockout, which gave Andrade the victory. So, a lot of intrigue over this fight, especially when you consider as well, both of them coming off losses and Rose having not fought since that fight back in May 2019. Yeah, I uh, see, I'm a massive Rose fan, to be fair, but I think like everyone else in that fight I think she was she comfortably won the first round she was tagging her a lot she kind of had the measure of her in terms of stand up and I mean yes she's KO'd slammed yeah absolutely she finished the fight is that going to be as easy to do now that Rose is going to get sucked in them grappling exchanges is easy knowing that she can do that in my opinion no I reckon that she'll have watched a lot of tape on that fight Mm-hmm. I think she's had a lot of time to stew about that fight. This is the fight that she wanted. Uh, uh, I think there's a reason why she hasn't took any other fights. I think she wants this one. So, uh, obviously, if Andrade hadn't lost the title, this this fight would then have become a lot harder to make. I think that kind of played into Rose's hands. But no, I, I definitely, definitely think this is an intriguing one. I might be wrong, but no, I, I think Rose... I think Rose is the one that's more motivated for this fight than Draj, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. We'll start. Yeah, Rose. I'll let you go first, Claire. Go ahead. Well, Rose definitely has more drive in this fight because she's uh, she's taking sort of a sort of the best comparison I could say is sort of the Stipe Miocic approach. After he lost the title, he didn't want to take anything other than a rematch with Cormier, and that's sort of what's happening here. There's no belt on the line, obviously, but. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see because she's probably been, uh, as he said, she's probably been watching this many, 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 many times. <laughs> so I could definitely see her employing a lot of that octagon control that she was doing in that first fight. In that first fight, pretty much in the whole first round, it was pretty much all in the center of the octagon with Rose landing those big shots, and it was incredible boxing. It was uh, She looked in her top form with that boxing. She looked like uh, Rose 2.0 in that first fight. But, um, yeah, I'm going to say it's pretty much going to be pretty much the same fight, just except without the slam, obviously. We're going to see what happens without the slam. Obviously, we all think that, obviously, we talk about Rose Namajunas and the performance she had in that fight and what sort of changes she's going to be making to try and avoid what happened in that first matchup. We can make the argument, though, that Jessica Andrade, she's going to be making a lot of changes herself because mm-hmm. you can make an argument that what happened against Weili Zhang, that the elements of that downfall stem from the Namajunas fight. Because I watched the first Namajunas-Andrade fight just to sort of whet my appetite for this one. And there's a moment in the first round where Andrade comes bull rushing in and Rose catches her with a counter left and you can just see Andrade just stagger a little bit. And it's pretty much the same punch Weili catches her with in their fight. It's just okay. because Weili has more yeah. power, was able to have more of an impact, and Andrade never recovered from that. But so Andrade obviously from that point on realizes, hey, I'm getting caught trying to bull rush in. So maybe we could see Andrade trying to cut corners more, trying to be a bit less reckless. Hmm. See, Andrade knows the way she wins that fight. She wins that fight by grappling yes. exchanges, doesn't she? She doesn't. She's not going to outstrike Rose. It's uh, very, mm-hmm. very surprised. So she knows. It's the. It's you, Rose knows what she has to do. Andrade knows what she has to do. It's it's a case of who imposes the will, and who has the will to do it. But I do think 
See, Rose, I thought, in the second round in that fight, got mm-hmm. sucked in more than she needed to. There was opportunities for her to break, and she didn't really take them. I thought, in technical-wise, I thought there was opportunities there for her to get off the cage. But I, I think this time, she is going to be very, very cautious of what Andrade could do. And she's not going to stay there very long. How she wins that fight is by, like you said, planting her feet in the middle of the octagon and beating her to the punch on that one every time. That's how she wins. And Jessica, uh, I mean, I don't know the stats of this, but I don't know how Rose generally has really good takedown defence. Uh, obviously, Andrade will be, obviously have an excellent jiu-jitsu, but I can't see Rose's takedown defence. And we know Rose has cardio as well, so... I don't know. I mean, I mean, Andrade, absolutely. She's a. I'm just. It, it's coming across like I'm all rose, but I'm absolutely not. But I just think, for me, as a fan, I prefer watching Rose fight because I like a box and it's nice and slick and it's more of an eye-catching performance from Rose than Andrade, in my opinion, anyway. I think that's the big thing about Rose for me is, if you compare Rose when she first fought in Invicta, she was very much the sort of. She was a reckless grappler. I think that was the best way to put it. I mean, she was. She could throw these like flying arm bars, and she was always trying to go in for the kill. And you compare her to like that fight against Tisha Torres, which she had in Invicta, which is really the fight that put her on the map. And then you compare it in the second second Juana fight. Just the transformation, the maturity as a person, the maturity as a fighter, the improvements in her striking. She has come a long, long way. And I think round one against Andrade was arguably the best we've ever seen Rose. The question is, can she get better than that? Has she sort of reached a peak with that performance that she'll maybe never be able to achieve again? Because this is a girl that hasn't fought in, what, 14 months? And did consider a move away from the sport after the Andrade fight. Is that is that Rose ever going to be back again? I don't know. I'm going to sound like Dominic <laughs> Cruz here, but it just depends if you if you believe in ring rust or not, doesn't it? To be fair, I don't know. But uh, I mean, you were saying there, kind of her journey, so to speak, from Invicta to UFC. I absolutely agree. I mean, I watched her in the Ultimate Fighter, and I didn't I didn't think much of her at all, and and I didn't think much of her personality in terms of how she comes across as a person. But I think she's matured massively since that, since the house days. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think as a person and a fighter, you can definitely tell the difference from even a couple of years ago. I think when you're married to Pat Barry, you have to be the mature one. <laughs> <laughs> I like Pat. Yeah. Let's yeah. talk about Jessica Andrade, though. This has been a very Rose-centric conversation, but Jessica Andrade is a big factor in this fight as well. And with Andrade, you have got, by a long way, the strongest woman in this division. Yeah, because I mean, even when Andrade came into the UFC, they didn't have a strawweight division. She was having to fight a bantamweight, so she was fighting girls who were like mm. naturally twenty, thirty pounds heavier than her, and she was chucking them around as if she was nothing. So to do that against whether it's like a Carolina Kovalkiewicz or a Joanne Caldwell, even against Joanna, yes, it was an unsuccessful fight, but she was flinging Joanna all over the place in that first round. Yeah, she looked good. She fought Claudia Gadela, and she's she's a strong, strong girl, and she she outmuscled her in quite a substantial amount of exchange. What a hell of a fight that was! Yeah, it was a really, really good fight. I would I'd love to see that again, but obviously different weight class and things like that, like you said. But no, no, I I definitely agree with it. in terms of the strength. That's that's where she, and especially if if you look at the size for Andrade versus Rose, who is on the smaller size, that is where 
that's the main strength, isn't it? That's where the, the fight's going to be decided because we know that if she gets to put Rose up against the cage, then that's going to be extremely difficult for Rose to to get away from that, isn't it? Because that's not where Rose wants to be. Do you think that, that? Do you think that Andrade's strength is maybe a detriment to her because? I watched her fight, like uh, Fight Pass always does this marathon of fighters who are going to be on like upcoming cards and they did one about Jessica Andrade a couple of months ago. So I watched that and it showed all of her fights from bantamweight through to strawweight. When she fought at bantamweight, because she was so much smaller than everyone else, she was having to use feints, she was having to use dirty boxing to get the positions to get these takedowns. Yet at strawweight, because she's so much bigger than everyone else, and because she doesn't fear anyone's power, she just resorts to like bull rushing in, bull rushes in, clinches them, throws them down. So I, you can maybe argue that Andrade sort of regresses a fighter. Yeah, by not using them feints. I mean, if she used them feints and things like that, then she'd probably get more grappling exchanges. She'd probably get more takedowns, especially against someone savvy, a savvy striker. Obviously, you've got to feint to get in and things like that and open up takedowns or head kicks and things like that. So, yeah, you, you're more than likely right on that one. Yeah, she's definitely not evolving at the champion level to be, uh, you know, well-rounded in all sorts of situations instead of just bull-rushing, as you said, people in title fights that early. Like, you shouldn't be bull-rushing in the first round like what she did with Wei Li. You should definitely be setting it up with feints and stuff you know prolong that for a bit try not to bull rush in immediately so she definitely relies on that i think a bit way too much now but as we saw against Wei Li, she learned the error of her mistake in that fight so we can maybe see a more relaxed andrage somebody who maybe does go back to try and mm -hmm. use the feints because we did start seeing some success from andrage in that second round she was throwing the leg kicks a bit more she was slowing down rose's movement and that's how she managed to get the clinch, which set up that big slam. And that game-changing power, mm -hmm. I mean, as good as a boxer Rose is, Rose is not the most powerful puncher in the division. Whereas Andrade, as we saw against Carolina, can turn anybody's lights out. A one-punch knockout yeah. straw weight is a very rare feat. And Andrade is capable of that. Most definitely. Someone made a comparison to this fight. Whether I agree with it or not, I'm not entirely sure, but I think this is a really... This is quite a telling one for me. They compared Rose versus Andrade to the first Fury versus Wilder fight. It... I think what they were trying to imply was that Nama Yunus is Fury in this case. They're the better striker by a long way. They can stay on the outside, they can pick their punches, but they need to be perfect for the entire fight. Whereas Andrade needs to be perfect for one second. Yeah, I, I kind of. I mean, yeah, I, I kind would of... make the comparison like Stipe versus Ngannou or something. Like that's yeah, a better yeah. comparison of that. Uh... So we're comparing Andrade to Francis Ngannou now. <laughs> no, no, no. I just mean uh, comparing Tyson versus um, Wilder. That would be a better comparison. Miocic versus Ngannou. Well, the bookmakers have this one very close indeed. Uh, Nama Yunus is a minus 190 favourite. You can get Jessica Andrade at plus 155. Uh, bookmakers think this one's going to be very close. Um, I actually think, if I remember correctly, Andrade was the favourite going into the first fight. So a lot of people saw what happened in the first fight and now think that Nama Yunus has a better chance even though she lost first time around. 
Which way are we going? For me, I think Andrade's stock fell the way Lee as well, I think. Obviously, not to take anything from where Lee, but people have seen that she got dramatically finished in that fight, so maybe that's maybe why the bookmakers think. I don't know. Uh, for me, I'm going Rose, and I'm probably going to have to say, I think the three rounds will probably favour Rose. So I, I mean, I think five rounds would favour as well, but I think, yeah, no, I'm going for Rose by unanimous decision but I think it's not going to be as clear cut as the as the first fight we spoke about I think it could potentially be a lot lot closer what about yourself Claire yeah as you as you said uh, I believe we'll probably as uh, as we've all been shitting on Andrade I, I do believe we'll probably see a better adjusted Andrade in this fight we'll probably see her in I don't want to say her top form but definitely an evolved form I feel like she's going to come out with a probably a completely different game plan she's probably going to try out some new things try and employ those feints again but yeah it's definitely going to be more competitive i think so i'm going to probably go with nama yunas you know this decision i'm going to go against the grain with people here i think that andrage does have that game <laughs> it's not me just trying to be awkward i i just think andrage has that game changing power i think 14 months away is a long time for any fighter and I don't think that I think fighting mm -hmm. more actively is something that suits Rose in my opinion um, and also we don't know about Rose's motivation I think that when you start saying maybe I don't want to be doing this anymore as she did after the first Andrade fight you sort of think if you're not 100% in it can you ever be again so maybe that's something that plays in my mind so I will be going for Andrade. I I don't think she's going to get the stoppage, but I think I can see I can see Andrade getting a couple of big takedowns and being able to ride it out for for a decision. What I would be intrigued to see though is what happens to the strawweight division depending on the result because I think the UFC want Rose to win this fight so they can set up a Whaley match later this year. If Andrade was to win, I don't think the appetite's going to be there for a rematch. So the question, yeah, it it's is. A hard to sell. So the question becomes, what did the UFC do then? Because you've either got Tatiana Suarez, who hasn't fought in a long time, she's back training again, but I think a title fight after 18 months out isn't the wisest thing. And the alternative is running Yuana versus Whaley again. And can you really see Yuana wanting to go through that kind of war again? <laughs> so if she loses, if she loses that again, then that is. Out of that title picture of that, of yeah. that division, isn't it? For you, and she's not going to want to go to flyweight because then she'll be fighting Shevchenko. And no. we've already seen that fight four times already, and Joanna hasn't won either of them. We're obviously counting the Muay Thai fights as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's Andrade versus Nama Yunus. You two go with uh, Nama Yunus, I go with Andrade. We'll see how that one plays out. It's title fight time. We've got ourselves three title fights on this card. This is the first one we'll be focusing on. We are going to the UFC Bantamweight division. The vacant belt is on the line and it is Russia taking on Brazil as Jose Aldo faces Piotr Jan. First thing we need to start off with talking about the Bantamweight division was Henry Cejudo and his decision to retire. Yeah, probably the most confusing retirement in MMA history, in my opinion, to be fair. You've just beat arguably the greatest bantamweight of all time in Dominic Cruz, or at least deserves to be in the conversation. 
uh, you've literally Henry Shielder was at the peak, and I just think it was a confusing time. And I, I don't even think Henry knew why he did it. To be honest with you, I mean, ever since he's for someone who's retired, all he keeps talking mm-hmm. about is fighting again. That's all he's been talking about lately. <laughs> so I don't at all, 110%, do not think he will stay retired. But I implore Dana for saying, okay, fair enough, let's move on. I absolutely think that was the right decision. Absolutely. So, yeah, and as much as, to be fair, I still I still want a pseudo Johnson fight again. I still want that fight. I think he deserves a rematch on that fight, 110%. I want a th- number three, me, personally. And no tradebacks. You can't do a tradeback with the <laughs> championship deal. And on the one hand, I do commend Henry for walking out when he still has his health. I always think it's great for a fighter to go out on top. Mm-hmm. I might be making a YouTube video about that later on in the future. But at the same time, there's also part of me that thinks, A, he's, he sort of did it for money reasons. Um, because he wasn't getting these sort of big super fights that he felt his uh, star deserved. But also as well, he was coming up against this real murderous roar at bantamweight. And... Yeah, that's why I was disappointed mm-hmm. because there was so many good fights from left. Because he's going to be having to fight someone like a Piotrian or an Aljamain Sterling, which are dangerous fights, but not fights that get him the big payday that he wants. Yeah, yeah, he's chasing all these uh, super fights that don't really exist. Like he's trying to go after like an Jose Aldo super. Well, before he retired, they were trying to do the Jose Aldo super fight with him, and that didn't make any sense. But now he's trying to go after Volkanovski, which doesn't make <laughs> any sense at all. <laughs> no, I absolutely agree. I think that's that's why I was so disappointed because yeah. it was the bantamweight division along with the lightweight is. Or potentially just, just the absolute killer's raw of people. Like, and there's some really good fights in there. But at the end of the day, if he doesn't have the more, if he's all in it for the money, then sooner or later one of these young lads is is going to mm-hmm. take him out out there sooner or later. It does mean that the division is um, obviously in a bit of a limbo right now. That limbo will come to an end at UFC 251 because we are going to have ourselves a new champion. Do we agree with the idea of Piotrion versus Jose Aldo, though? Because there was a lot of purists, I include myself in this, who felt that Aljamain Sterling deserved that shot over Aldo a little bit more. I agree. I think evident by the last time you see Aljamain Sterling fought, he absolutely nailed it. He looked fantastic, and he didn't. He barely threw a shot. He barely threw a shot. He didn't even. Was it the first yeah, round stoppage? Uh, submission it was, in what? It was, it was, uh, yeah, a minute yeah. and a half. Yeah, I mean, that the guy that he was fighting as well was very, very highly touted, uh, very highly ranked, and he just made him look very, very ordinary. And that's literally... No, I, I think Sterling absolutely deserved that fight over Aldo. I mean, I, I feel for Aldo, because I think all three of us can agree that he won the fight against the Rallers, in my opinion. I don't think... He definitely won that fight, but then that was only his first fight at Bantamweight. So obviously your second fight coming off a loss, you're fighting, you're fighting for the belt. But then again, it's Aldo has something that maybe Aljamain Sterling doesn't, which is a name. Aldo is a big name where Sterling isn't. So that's he puts a name behind a, a pay per view, isn't it? And we all know that money talks, especially in UFC. We've been seeing a lot of that recently. I feel like 
there's obviously there's been a lot of questions about the rankings with the whole Shane Burgo scandal that happened a couple of weeks ago. But this is another example of mm-hmm. it. I feel the UFC are overlooking uh, winning streaks, form, and instead they're just focusing on the big names because we've had like three or four examples in the past um, in the past two years or so where fighters have had like two or three fight losing streaks and they're getting title shots. Like we've got Jose Aldo here. It was Joel Romero a couple of months ago. Holly Holm. Holly, Holly Holm, Holm lost two fights and they got herself a featherweight yep. title shot. Wow. Pretty impressive. So, that heck yeah, is. she's made an entire living out so of that you're... one fight. And she, <laughs> it's the record something like five or five in the UFC and she's had like four title shots. But the head kick. That's all anybody kick. ever remembers. You're gonna have to see <laughs> you're gonna have to see more highlights of it. You're well, gonna have to see it. So with that being said, Carl, would you say that Sterling is the number one contender and fights the winner of this, barring some strange scenario where it's the greatest fight on fight and an immediate an immediate rematch is needed? Would you say that Sterling is in the my next opinion, in line? Yes. My fear, though, especially if Piotr Jan wins this, is they'll do Jan versus Marlon Marais, which I have no issue with from a fight perspective, because I think that could be a hell of a fight. But you've got to go with rankings. In my opinion, Sterling deserves that. I agree. Yeah, at this point, I feel like after this fight, they're going to go with the rankings at this point. We'll focus on, we'll focus on this fight more in a bit more detail. We'll start with our Russian contender first, Piotr Jan. This is a guy who... The UFC have been very high on for a long time. This is going to be his third straight pay-per-view appearance and his most recent one against Uriah Faber. There was a lot of people that maybe thought after the Jimmy Rivera fight, is this guy really all that he's cracked up to be? And he went a long way to answering those critics with that performance against Faber. Yeah, he looked really good. That Jimmy Rivera fight Hell of a an fight. excellent fight as well. Jim, Jimmy Rivera was winning that every single round not by a lot but then he had the unfortunate opinion to get clipped at the at the end of every single round it was almost like a rinse and repeat with player but he's the only person I've seen that has made Peter Yarn look somewhat ordinary in all of his appearances apart from that he's been flawless since he joined the UFC there was also that Dodson uh, fight, John yeah. Dodson fight where he got yeah. yeah he got dropped hard in that fight seen that clip going around recently <laughs> people are bringing that up did he didn't drop him no but uh, Jimmy was working him really oh. hard Jimmy has hell of a good footwork mm-hmm. and he was showing that in that fight yeah so with Piotr Jan we have one of the best boxers in the division and I think the the real sort of standout things for me that make his boxing work so well is his footwork and his ability to create pressure and to box people into corners based on how he moves, how he sets up his jab. Um, I think we saw that to an extent, especially, well, the Faber fight's a great example of that. But even against Rivera, those sort of game-changing big punches came because he finally managed to suss out his footwork and managed to box Rivera in and then catch him with that big right hand to drop him. Especially in the first round, good example of that. Yeah, he's happy Mm -hmm. to take a shot to land a shot as well, isn't he? He's quite capable of, of maybe taking one of your shots on the chin to land his own, which is which is one of his big things as well as because he obviously while he did get dropped against John Donson, he is a pretty he's a tough well, they always are the Russians, he's a tough Russian fighter, isn't he? So he's 
he's more than capable of taking one on the chip and de deliver his own. Yeah, anybody who fights an ACB and hasn't gotten knocked out viciously is top tier. ACB is a murderer's role. That's a Russian fighting championship, and and they play that. I think that's the one where like people are sitting around on tables watching it. It looks like it's in like a restaurant or something. Probably not. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right one, but all of those Russian organizations, they're all killers there. I'm pretty sure no drug tests and stuff like that. So, yeah, pretty impressive that he survived all that ACB carnage. Only lost to a split decision there. That's and it. And a fight as well. I've actually managed to find uh, footage of that fight as well. I personally make the argument that Jan could have won that fight. Okay. So you think it was a, it was a split decision? A very close fight. Very close. I, can, I can see the fight result either way. Um... The other good thing that stands out for me with Piotr Jan is he's very intelligent as well for a fighter. I often find that he can start a bit slowly. We saw that against uh, Jimmy Rivera. We saw that against, even to an extent, against Uriah Faber. I think Faber was keeping him honest in that first round. But he reads his opponent very well. And come the second round, he starts thinking, hey, I know what this guy's going to do right now. And then he comes into his own as the fight progresses. Has he gone? Has he ever? Obviously, the Faber fight was that a five-round fight? Was that a three-round three fight? fight? Yeah. So is, three. is this? Will this be his first five-round fight? Um, I haven't seen any issues yeah. in regards to his cardio, so I think he can be able to handle the five rounds. Oh. He has struggled against fighters who do have good footwork, though. I think if you look at his toughest challenges in the UFC, it was John Donson and Jimmy Rivera, who were guys who move non-stop. So Aldo's going to be yeah. needing to use a lot of lateral footwork, which is a bit of a concern considering the way that Aldo fights now. I think Aldo's become a bit more of a brawler than he was saying his WEC days. Mm -hmm. But we need to see some of that old Jose Aldo if he's going to have some success. Need to see his leg kicks. Yes. Need to see his leg kicks. His leg kicks has almost disappeared compared to his WEC days. They used to chop them down. He used to have leg kicks similar to Edson Barboza level. Uh, and he just he doesn't use him anymore. It's one of his best weapons, and he just doesn't seem to use him. He's more like a, a boxer kind of brawler, and all about the hands. That's what I've not. That's what I've noticed. Naldo's last two fights. I seem to remember reading somewhere that he got he got a foot injury when he fought Korean Zombie. Yeah. And I think he started to be quite wary of throwing the leg kicks after that. It's a shame yeah, because they were true. some of his best weapons, weren't they? They were. Well, we saw that against Faber. Yeah. When he fought Faber in the WEC, Faber's leg was an absolute mess after that fight because of the work that Aldo was doing. Into... Yeah, that was brutal. Absolute showcase of leg kicks in that fight. In terms of the modern Jose Aldo, though, there is still a lot of positives to see. And we saw that when he fought Renato uh, Moicano and Jeremy Stevens. He can still finish fighters. He went through a real tear at one point. People were thinking... Aldo's going to have himself another run here. Obviously, Volkanovski out-wrestled him and pretty much put an end to that. What did you think of Aldo when he fought Marlon Marias? Because there was a lot of people, I include myself in this, who thought this way cut is just going to absolutely butcher him and we're going to have ourselves another Dillashaw or flyweight situation. But he survived the early onslaught and in my opinion, he won that fight. I agree. He looked... Ironically enough, he looked. Morales probably took the first round of that fight, but that was it. And which is normally not something you say of Aldo. Aldo's normally cardio issues, yeah. isn't it? To be fair, 
when he was at Featherweight. But no, I, I, I was on that preview show when we talked about it, and we all, I think we all put, we all picked Morales because we none of us thought that he would survive at that level and that conditioning, especially with Morales coming off. He's obviously looking so good against Henry early on. So, no, I, I was very, very surprised with him. And I definitely, I said it before in this show, didn't I? I've definitely, he definitely won that fight, in my opinion. And I think it was correct that Dana rewarded him for that. Should he reward him with a title shot? Uh, that is a different <laughs> question. But he definitely, he didn't deserve to take a lesser fight because he won that fight, in my opinion. Personally, if it was me, I would have done Jan versus Sterling for the title. And I would have done Aldo against Corby Sandhagen. I would have liked to have done it on the same yes. card. I'm doing a bit of a bantamweight preview because they had a card a few weeks ago and they killed it. So let's showcase them again with winning one of the strongest weight. Oh, bantamweight's become an elite division. There was a long time when it was just basically Dominic Cruz and Uriah Faber on the top. But these past couple of years, the bantamweights have been knocking out the park. Yeah. They were in a lot of the featherweights. They were in featherweight shadow for a long, long time. To be fair, but not anymore. Absolutely. Well, how not many at times all. has this happened though? That like the the smallest weight class in the UFC is often seen as a bit of a joke when it first starts, and then as the years <laughs> go on, yeah. people start appreciating it a lot more. I mean, there was a time when uh, lightweight was was pulling in like hundred thousand buys. They were having to put lightweight fights on free TV because there was no interest. And now it's seen as sort of the benchmark division. Oh, it absolutely is. I mean, the lightweight division now is probably one of the most stacked divisions in the history of the UFC, isn't it? To be fair, I, I'm evident by the the fights in the last couple of weeks. Felder versus Dan Hooker. Yeah. And, uh, and Dan if Hooker versus Poirier as well. Two great fights. Yeah. Fantastic. Murderer's Raw, isn't it? To be fair, absolutely. The other thing that stood out for me with Jose Aldo, just trying to get this back on topic... Against Marlon Marais, he looked a lot bigger. And Marlon is a big bantamweight himself, but Aldo mm-hmm. looked massive in that fight. And that size advantage could play a big part against someone like Piotr Jan. Yeah, no, I agree. I think every little advantage you can get against Peter... I mean, Peter's the one that's coming in with form, isn't he? He's the one that will, that is expected. So, in, in essence... I suppose the pressure's on Peter Yan to perform, yes. isn't it? I mean, Aldo wasn't really expected to win the Morales fight. I mean, he lost it, but we, if we, just for the basis of conversation, we'll treat it like he won because we all think he did. Uh, Aldo's got nothing to lose in this fight. If he loses, people will just say he was up against Peter Yan. If he wins, he's got himself a second title in a second weight division. And if he loses, it's going to be three losses in a row and or into a bantam mm-hmm. weight. And we've got to start thinking what's next for Jose Aldo. So yeah. you could say that Aldo has nothing to lose, but at the same time, he's got everything to lose in a strange way. <laughs> I think yeah, Piotr yeah. Jan's biggest path to victory, in my opinion, is he's got to make Aldo angry. Because one of the things I've seen with Jose Aldo in a couple of his more recent fights is if you can get under his skin and coax him into these sort of macho brawls, it does, it does damage to his cardio, he starts losing his composure. We saw that against Max Holloway. Aldo... Yeah, that's a perfect In the example. second Holloway fight, Aldo started that fight quite well, in my opinion. But Max started coaxing him to a brawl. Aldo started swinging away. And then Max's pace added with that just meant Aldo couldn't keep up. And by the third round, he was struggling big time. And Max ended up finishing him. 
So I think Piotr Jan needs to apply a similar strategy here. Well, he's a very intelligent very. player, like you said. So I'm sure with it, I'm sure with it, he'll be, he'll be sitting down with his coach, be watching tape. He'll be, he'll have a mm -hmm. firm game plan on what he wants to do with Aldo. Interestingly, though, I'm looking at the poll that we post on the YouTube page, and most people are favouring Jose Aldo for this one. 51 to 49 percent, they're favouring Aldo to win this fight. So I don't know whether that's uh, people thinking with their hearts or with their heads, but there are people out there that think Aldo's got a shot in this one. Yeah, I definitely think he's got a shot. Absolutely. I definitely think he's got a shot. Especially if you just take his performance from the Morales fight, he's definitely got a shot. And on his day, he can finish people. Evident. Mm -hmm. He can finish them with a knee, a kick or a punch. He's done it all, to be fair. So I definitely think he's got a shot. Do I, I mean, do I think he will win? No. But I definitely, yeah, I wouldn't count him out. Absolutely not. He's a legend. He's a future Hall of, future hall of Famer, as need to be fair. I totally agree with that. I think there's a lot of people out there that when they think Jose Aldo, they just think the Connor fight, which I think does him a real disservice because Aldo is a hell of a better fighter than those 13 seconds. So, I mean, I share the sentiment of a lot of people. I think it would be a fantastic story if Jose Aldo won this fight. However, I've got to go with my head. And I think that Piotr Jan is going to outwork him and get a late finish, third or fourth round. Yeah, I think he'll finish him as well. I, I do. I, I think, I think third, I'm going to go third round finish. And you, for yourself, Claire? Yeah, as you were saying, it's like the perfect uh, fairy tale ending for Aldo, really, if he wins this fight. But if he if he loses it, it'll be horrific. Like, <laughs> and not only will people be thinking about that Connor loss, they'll be thinking about the Jan loss as well. So, especially if he gets knocked out. So. Yeah, it'll be a rough, rough night for him if he's not in his proper top form. Because when he's in his top form, like the uh, Moicano fight and the Stevens fight, he can be vicious, man. But yeah, as he said, if you get under his skin and you make him uncomposed, he can sort of just abandon his game plan and sort of get reckless. So yeah, I'm going with uh, Leon on this one. What round? I'm probably going to go with... Um, five-rounders, so I'm going to go probably round three. So round three for Piotr Jan, everybody's on the same board that will have Russia's second UFC champion which will, be, which will be Piotr Jan. In my opinion, one of the more intriguing fights on this card. I would have said it would have been Usman versus Burns. However, um, now that that fight's fallen through, I'm favorite, I think Jan versus Aldo is going to be the one which steals the show, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Definitely. We move on to Definitely. We move on to the core main event now, and it is a battle of Hawaii versus Australia and a rematch from UFC 245. <laughs> Somebody mentioned this, you know, that how many of these fights on this card have connections to 245 because Kamara Usman is main eventing, as he did at 245. Holloway and Volkanovski on the card as well as the core main, as it was then. We've also yeah. got Piotr Jan and Jose Aldo, who were also on the undercard of 245. So... It's just strange, isn't it, that six months later, six, seven months later, we're just seeing this sort of history repeating itself? <laughs> yeah. I just think it's perfect timing, really. It must have been perfect timing for all the fighters, I guess. <laughs> it's just an MMA conspiracy. We love plenty of them. And you've got, <laughs> and you've got connections with Aldo, Max Hollowell, things like that as well. Obviously fought previously twice mm -hmm. and things like that. 
That'd be interesting. Certainly will do. If only Nunez, if only Nunez was on well, this card, then it would be well, perfect. But we've got a girl called Amanda. Oh yeah, there we there go. There you go. <laughs> and if we go back to December with Alex Volkanovski and Max Holloway in their first fight, I mean, there was a lot of people out there that thought Max Holloway, he's the dominant featherweight champion, he's going to be making easy work of this fight, and then we can maybe look at Max maybe going up in weight and seeing what he could do at lightweight to try and become a double champ. Then Alex Volkanovski comes along. And I was actually one of the few people out there that thought this guy is going to be a stylistic nightmare for Max. And before you know it, we have Max, we have Max Holloway losing his belt, Volkanovski becoming the champion. Do you agree with the idea of this fight being a rematch? And I don't say that as a disrespect to Max Holloway. I think Max was a fantastic champion and he does deserve the chance to get his belt back considering how good he was as the champion. I just think about how good featherweight is right now. I look at people like Korean Zombie, Yair Rodriguez, Zabit, and given the choice between a Holloway rematch and one of those three fighting Volkanovski, personally, I would have gone with one of those three. Mm, I'm going to disagree. Purely, yeah, I'm just going um, to disagree. I'm going to disagree purely because I think what Max has done for the division, like you said, I think that he deserves... I think the first fight was... It was the correct decision, but it wasn't as clear-cut as the scorecards give it, in my opinion. And I think Max is a great one. I think Max is shown throughout his career, especially since the Connor last Connor loss, is how adaptable mm-hmm. he is. He's another one who's improved massively over the years. And I want to see... Because he's another one, he'll have gone back, he'll have reset, he'll have watched that tape. I want to see what he's done to see Max 2.0. And I think he's done everything the UFC yes. asked him to as well. He went up, he went up in weight, he fought. You know what I mean? I mean, it didn't, yes, it didn't go his way against Poirier, but obviously look at Poirier. You know what I mean? You can't knock him for that. And I, I think he deserves, I honestly do think he deserves a rematch. Uh, and I want to see how, I think if for Volkanovski as well, if he beats him two in a row, his stock rises massively. It you know legitimizes I mean? so... Alex Volkanovsky. It shows the first fight wasn't a flu. Mm-hmm. This guy is a real deal when it comes to this division. Especially if he wins by a knockout, like what he's claiming that he's going to do. That'd be definitely huge for Volkanovsky if he could put away Holloway. Cause has Holloway even been finished? He got submitted by Dustin Poirier, which was his UFC debut. Yeah, and his debut. The inverted twisted triangle, was that or something? Inverted like that? triangle, yeah. But he's never yeah. but apart from never that, been stopped with strikes. Yeah, that's that's it. Oh. But I mean if you, it's interesting obviously, if you look at the two people that Connor beat early on in his career was Poirier and Holloway, how much Holloway because obviously we Poirier's another story, but if you look at how Holloway's improved from that fight and again, he's someone who's been in the UFC for such a long time. I mean, he's, he was a kid when he joined the UFC. And he's matured massively since then. Uh, so, no, I, I am a Holloway fan, I have to admit. I mean, I do like Volkanovski. And his game plan for the first fight was flawless. And he executed it perfectly. Uh, but I do want to see what Max And I think that's the thing that a lot of people were surprised by with Volkanovski. I mean, I, I predicted him to win the first fight. But I thought he was going to be doing it using his wrestling, taking down Max. Mm-hmm. And instead, obviously him and Eugene Behrman must have seen something in terms of Max and how he switches stances. 
and they were just going at that leg over and over again and Max's movement was non-existent come those final few rounds because of the work that Volkanovski was doing on it so you've got to think that side of Volkanovski's game can't work this time around because Max is going to be making the adjustments but if Max is preparing for these leg kicks maybe Volkanovski is going to be applying a more striking based game and we saw against Chad Mendes he can find success with that maybe he is going to be using his wrestling a little bit more yeah he's got I mean obviously to outstrike Max Holloway is no mean feat at all because he's a fantastic fantastic striker uh, but he's, if he's got Max thinking about the leg kicks, then his wrestling hasn't even thought about his wrestling. Obviously, if he sets up his wrestling with his hands, then he's got multiple ways to win, hasn't he? I, I mean, I can't. We obviously no one's going to pick Max Holloway to out wrestle Von Olkowski, no. are we? So that's Max is 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 kind of like a war of attrition kind of guy where he pitter patters away and does get the finish after multiple shots landed he's again he's not a one punch knockout artist or anything like that mm-hmm. he kind of just wears you down almost like a Nate Diaz kind of fighter where he will just wear you down so yeah I think Volkanovski while I'm a Max Holloway fan has got more than one way to win this fight because he's got his wrestling he's got his strike and he's sure he can outstrike again we're talking calf kick isn't it it's the calf kick man if you can take someone's legs out they it just they, it's become so difficult if you if you land maybe five to six in the first couple of rounds like you said by the fifth round and someone like Max Holloway is mm-hmm. so reliant on switching stand its movement is evident what happened that being said with Volkanovski though when we look at the first Holloway fight I, I watched the replay on YouTube he wasn't all that effective with the grappling there was a couple of times when he did try and get the clinch he tried to shoot him for takedowns but Max's sprawl Max's takedown defence is on point mm-hmm yeah, that's uh, what makes me uh, pretty angry that we never got that uh, Khabib fight. That was uh, like April Fools, like twenty eighteen. Because he was he was going to fight uh, awesome. he was going to fight Khabib on two twenty three, wasn't it? And then obviously he had the issues yeah. with the weight cut and all the uh, the dolly stuff as well. Yeah, that would have been perfect. <laughs> In terms of Max Holloway himself, obviously we focus on his striking. What other attributes? is Max going to be utilising to try and get himself victory in this fight? Is there anything about Volkanovski that he can maybe look to try and weaken in the same way that Volkanovski did in the first fight? Uh, maybe just try and avoid those leg kicks. Maybe try and check him if he gets in. Uh, if he tries to check any of those leg kicks, he could definitely try and deflect some of that damage. Because uh, Volkanovski was chipping away hard on those in the first fight. I think Max is, I hope, one of the things I do hope to see is that Max has maybe tried to do something to try and build on his power. Because one yeah. of the things I've seen with Volkanovski, especially with the Chad Mendes fight, that was, based, that was for me the toughest test that Volkanovski faced in his career. And Mendes had the power. I think he dropped him in that fight in the second mm-hmm. round. And then Volkanovski came back to... Yeah. Uh, get the knockout himself so if Max has been working on building some more bulk building a bit more power maybe that's a a trait that he can try and exploit but that comes at the expense of Max's movement which has always been his big forte yeah he's so mm. loose isn't he with his striking and things mm. like that so but I don't know if he put on if he 
You don't have to put on much weight to carry a bit more power, do you, to be fair? So, yeah, that could be some Yeah, maybe if he goes with, like, the Gaethje approach yes. and he tries to point maybe um, reduce his output and he tries to point fight with, like, power on the end of his punches instead of just, you know, pit pattern, as you said, breaking down his opponents. Maybe if he puts more power into those shots and maybe doesn't throw them nearly as often. And I think... We could maybe see a completely different fight. And I fighter. think that was something he utilized a lot against Frankie Edgar. Because Edgar mm -hmm. was quite similar to Volkanovski in being quite a stocky wrestler that was going to try and go for the takedowns. And Max wasn't his gung-ho self in that fight. He played it very safe, very composed. Maybe not the most entertaining mm -hmm. Max Holloway fight, but very effective. Yes, Volkanovski is a hell yeah. of a lot tougher than Frankie Edgar is and a hell of a lot stronger. But it was effective in that fight, and I think maybe that's another path for victory that Max Holloway could try and utilize. Yeah, and that was right after the uh, mm -hmm. Poirier loss, so he definitely took something from that loss and definitely learned from that when he came out with that approach. So we'll probably see the same thing here. Is anybody maybe a bit concerned about Max Holloway's uh, mileage? Because he he's 28 years old, but he's been fighting in the UFC for about 8 or 9 years. Mm -hmm. And he has had some absolute wars during that time. And just mm -hmm. the one thing I sometimes have with Max Holloway is, we've seen this with so many people, like him and Browse, the one that comes to my mind, is you have so many fights in such a short space of time, you start feeling the effects of them a lot earlier than what other people might do. Just feel burnt mm. out. You just burn yourself out, don't you? Yeah, potentially. He's been in some big fights as well. Considering he's such a young young man, he's been in some really, really big fights for his age as well. I mean, he just held that division for... I don't know how long he was champion for, but... It was quite I think a... since 2016, I think, yeah. I think. Yeah, 2017 Might UFC. Right, yeah, UFC 212, he beat Jose Aldo in Brazil. Yeah, yeah which is a okay. massive achievement. I think, again, it's a really compelling fight because it, this is your quintessential striker versus grappler matchup. Um, and I think we can see that as well when we look at the polls. Uh, the polls for this one, you've got Volkanovski 54%, Max Holloway 46 So, again, another very close fight. Uh, people on the internet can't really call it between these two, but we're going to have to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to let Clay answer this one first because I've been first all the way so I'm going to let Clay go first um, this one's pretty tough the odds on this are pretty uh, pretty close Like I think it's only like negative 240 for Volkan Like it's nothing too crazy like the He-Boss fight or anything like that but yeah it's going to be pretty interesting to see we might see a Holloway 2.0 that's what I'm hoping to see we see a evolved Holloway we see him employ some new tricks maybe some new techniques in his power and his movement um, probably is uh, man it's tough to pick uh, I'm gonna go with Volkanovski decision I'm gonna go the same way I think that I think we're gonna see a much more improved Max Holloway and we're gonna see him iron out mm -hmm. those flaws from the first fight but something tells me that Volkanovski's holding something back because if Eugene Behrman yeah. was smart enough to see the the switching of stances from the first fight, there's something else he's going to see as well that's going to give Volkanovski another opportunity to try and exploit. I mean, City Kickboxing have been knocking it out the park recently, and 
I'm going to go with Volkanovski again. But I do think it's going to be a lot closer than the first fight. So, for me, this is a really tough one because I, I'm probably inclined to agree with you both. But I'm not going to root against Max because I like Max. He's one of my favourite <laughs> fighters. So, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go Max Holloway by unanimous decision. But I would not... I, I would not at all be surprised if I'm more than likely going to be wrong, but I'd like I'd, my heart says Max. I'd like I'd like Max to win. My heart says Max. And unless this is an absolute barn burner where a trilogy fight is needed, who gets that next featherweight title shot? Zombie, Zabit, oh. or Yay? Well, as he said, like, uh, is this fight even warranted? Uh, I think so because I think all these matchups that you said that should have been fighting for a title i think they still got some fights that they should match up with like yair versus Zabit right there ortega versus korean zombie right there i think they should get those fights set up first and then we see and, what happens put them on the same card i like that put them on the same card yeah almost like a semi-final old ufc and then you get the winner of them two fights and you put that on a card and let's see. And then you've got the uh, Calvin Cater versus Danny Gear winner. They're going to be right in the mix as well. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> see, I like Cater. I think he looks he looks Hell phenomenal. of a fighter. I really, really like him. Yeah, it would have been, we probably would have been talking about Cater in a completely different light if that Zabit fight was five-rounder. Yes. And yeah. he would have won that fight if it was five rounds. Yeah. Speaking of five-round fights, it is now time for us to talk about our main event of the evening, or at least the fight that we hope is going to be the main event. At the time that we record this, we're still not entirely sure what's going to be happening with Kamala Usman. For anybody who is quite new to the show, uh, Gilbert Burns unfortunately had to pull out of the main event. All indications seem to be that Jorge Masvidal is going to take this fight. So we're going to be recording this as if Masvidal has accepted that offer. If it doesn't work, we can have a quick laugh at this. But our main event of the evening, Kamala Usman is taking on Jorge Masvidal. The welterweight title is on the line. Now, this is a fight which a lot of fans, both casuals and hardcores, have been looking forward to for a long, long time. Myself included. Absolutely. If this fight does does go ahead which i'm praying it does then yeah this could be something really really special to be honest i like whether you like jorge masterful or you don't one thing you can never say is he's never been in a boring fight in his life so he, after the 2019 he had he was in i mean it depends on because the last fight that usman has i think was closer than the scorecards give but if you take colvington out of the equation and say let's leave him to fester for a little bit longer then there is no better name at, at that weight to class than Jorge Masterwell's own. He's definitely he's, in terms of star power he's definitely got it as well I mean he's he's the BMF he's the no-nonsense game-bred <laughs> street Jesus who uh, basically ended Ben Askren's UFC career in five seconds um, what did you think of Masvidal's issues over pay because I think that did sour him with a lot of people and as justified as he was to say hey I want to be paid more money and there's been a lot of arguments about that over the past uh, two or three months when you are game bred when you are street Jesus and then you're starting to haggle over fight pay it's not a good look 
So I think one of the good things that's come out of Masvidal taking this fight is nobody's arguing about that anymore. All of the negativity that may have come his way over those past two or three weeks has been completely erased by him taking this on, what, six, seven days' notice? Crazy. I mean, if he does, obviously, the fight, then that's going to put his, his stock up massively because he's effectively, I wouldn't say saved the card because the card is fantastic, but he has stepped up when he was needed and he's absolutely put a massive name on this big fight island card, isn't it? Because yeah. you know Dana White. Of all the fight island cards, this is the one that has the most star power. So this is the one that Dana will want to save and it, it will be the one that we talked about, we alluded to it earlier, that Dana will open his checkbook for. I have no doubt about that. And yourself, Claire? Yeah, it looks like the fight's happening. Uh, Ariel said uh, 12, 18 p.m. That's like uh, 30 minutes ago that apparently they're just uh, doing testing right now, COVID tests. So if they clear for that, then the official posters and all that will probably go out. So it literally depends on uh, a disease. So if Masvidal's clean, the fight will probably happen. Looks like it's a done well, deal. Well, let's certainly hope so. And fingers crossed that um, Masvidal can get through all those tests. Obviously, uh, we've had a lot of fights which have been affected by COVID. We've had a lot of personal issues as well with, obviously, Khabib Nurmagomedov's dad. And we send our condolences to him and oh, all yeah. of his family at this yeah, time. Yeah. In terms of this fight itself, uh, we'll talk about Kamava Usman first and foremost. Because I got a lot of blowback from the preview at 2.45. I was very dismissive of the fight with Colby Covington. I just thought, it's just going to be a wrestling match. Are the UFC making the right call having it headline when you've got Max Holloway and Volkanovski, which is guaranteed to be a more entertaining fight? I have to say, I was proven wrong. I hold my hands up. I did get it wrong with that one. Covington versus Usman surpassed all of my expectations. It was a hell of a fight. Certainly was. I mean, Colby, again, whether you like him or not, is another kettle of fish, but he absolutely proved that he is in the premium division. He's where he needs to be. Uh, and like I said, the, for me, while I'd, I don't think I would have been totally in the camp of a rematch, but that wouldn't have been a terrible decision. I mean, if, if, if Masvidal doesn't take this fight and Colby steps up is there going to be a lot of people that are going to be against that? Probably not Not at so... all because they've got the built in beef the first fight was great and you can make an argument if Colby makes one or two adjustments he could very well be winning that fight Yeah because everyone thought he was a wrestler yeah. uh, which he still is but his striking looked phenomenal in that fight And I think as well from Usman's perspective because there was a lot of people out there that thought this guy is just a lame prayer I mean, I've seen a couple of reports that were mm -hmm. calling him the new John Fitch, which I think's maybe a bit harsh. <laughs> oh, that's really um, harsh. Very so for harsh. him to show that kind of striking, and it was powerful striking as well, um, I think he went a long way to rebuilding his stock. I mean, just saying this guy is not just a wrestler. This guy is a proper threat anywhere that the fight goes. Well, didn't he break his he jaw? He broke Colby Covington's jaw. Early on as well, wasn't it? I think second round he did it. Yeah, so definitely massive amount of potential and power in his shots. 
Well, yeah, as you guys said in that fight, he definitely proved that he was uh, a pure UFC champion. Like he was, uh, he could be in the top brass. Like he wasn't just a lay and pray John Fitch type. Like he said, like he can put on those championship type fights where he gets those big knockouts against those uh, top opponents. So yeah, he's definitely coming to his top form. Because he rocked Tyron Woodley as well in their fight. I think a lot of people mm -hmm. forget that they they just felt that. It was just Usman out-wrestling him, pinning him against the fence. But I especially remember that fourth round. That was a 10-8 round. And he came very close to finishing uh, Woodley in that fight. Yeah. Yeah, that was extremely close. What do you fight. make of Usman's decision to train with Trevor Whitman? Because we're talking about the improvements in Usman's striking. Surely it's going to be getting even better if he's training with Whitman. And you see the oh, work yeah. he's been doing with Gagey and Rose. Yeah, absolutely. Trevor Whitman is an elite coach, to be fair. If you look at some of the stuff that he's done lately in the last six months, and some of the fighters that he's took on, phenomenal. And I don't believe that Whitman... Whitman doesn't have an out-and-out -out gym in the same way that someone like Greg Jackson does. He, he He's very picky about who he chooses to train. So if Trevor Whitman sees something in you that he wants to say, hey, I want to take you under my wing, it must be a sign that you've got a lot about you. Yeah, there's there's untapped potential in Newsman, 110%. I don't think he's hit his peak at all. Again, he's a product of the Ultimate Fighter. Mm -hmm. He looked good on that as well. I think that was the that was the the year that they did it slightly uh, differently. The... I think it was Black Zillions versus yeah. American Top Team, if I recall. Yeah, so that was a totally different format, and he looked phenomenal. I mean, he fought a guy called Hammer Hassan. I've mispronounced that. I apologise. Uh, in the final and he'd been knocking people out left right and center in the mm. house and he dominated him quite handsomely so and he's only improved if you look at where he started his first ufc fight where he is now it, it's massive huge. i seem to have re remembered reading somewhere as well that i mean osman's only two fights away from uh tying gsp's welterweight record in terms of like the amount oh, wow, like okay. the most wins in a row that's crazy i didn't know oh, that wow. So he's been he's been very active as well, which is good to see from a champion because I think champions can start getting a bit picky when they get the belt. That's saying, oh, I'm going to be fighting every nine or ten months instead of every three or four. So he's staying as active as he can do, which I think is a really good thing to see. The issue, so do I. One of the big issues that come with short notice fighters, however, is they can spend a lot of time training for one type of fighter, looking at the strengths, looking at the weaknesses. Obviously, with Gilbert Burns, he would have been preparing for the jiu-jitsu game and the sort of out-and-out brawling mm -hmm. style that Gilbert's been applying in his recent fights. With Masvidal, it's a pure boxer. So. I mean, I suppose the good thing about him training for Gilbert Burns is Gilbert Burns only fought four weeks ago, so he hasn't had months and months to re prepare, if that makes sense. So that's going to help him, but no... Gilbert Burns is a completely different striker and the way he does things to someone like Jorge Masvidal, absolutely. Jorge Masvidal's distance, his power exchanges, just the way he moves is a totally different kettle of fish. And now we need to talk about Gamebred himself taking this fight on seven days' notice. We've all been through the Jorge Masvidal story over the past 12 months. A lot of people thought he lost that fight against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson at USC 217. And then just completely disappeared for 18 months. Went on a reality TV show and just completely 
rebuilt his approach to the sport. Out comes Gamebred, looking like Street Jesus as he does. Nobody wanted to fight Darren Till at Fight Night London. Knocks him out, then knocks out Ben Askren in five seconds, and then becomes the BMF. 2019, you could argue Adesanya also had a good um, 2019, but for most people, it was Masvidal. Yeah, for me, Masvidal takes 2019. Just by the standard, not just the performances, but also the finishes as well. I mean, he's got... I mean, I don't think, obviously, the Nate Diaz thing, it was a finish, but it, it was, wasn't was something that we could have done without. But if you look at if you look at the Ben Astrid, that's going to go down in infamy, not just for the mm-hmm. fastest knockout, but just how nasty it was and how uh, just brutal it was in terms of a finish. Yeah, I do agree with you on the finishes, but I, I think Izzy just reclaiming the title and just the run that he had that year was just perfect. Like, that's just... Uh perfect resume in the UFC really like yeah the perfect year because it's tricky to say I would favor Masvidal considering how, how he came from nowhere to be at the top in the that's true 12 months that's true I think Adesanya had the better fight I think the performance against Whitaker was fantastic and obviously the match with yeah. Gastelum which in my opinion was fight of the year um, but no I favor yeah. Masvidal between the two in terms of Masvidal as a fighter Again, the boxing has always been the great thing for him. And I think... I often thought that Masvidal for a long time during his career was a little bit of a coaster. He could have maybe gone for the finish, been a bit more aggressive, but instead was trying to leave it in the hands of the judges, just played a little bit too safe. And that's how he ended up getting so many split decisions going against him. He's become mm-hmm. a lot more no-nonsense since then. He's got he's become much more aggressive... We saw that against Nate Diaz in the first round. I mean, he hurt Nate really badly. That fight could have been over in about 90 seconds. Yeah. Just just total aggression. Yeah, absolutely agree. He's just total... He just seems more urgency yes. is required, to be fair. Since he's come back, he's more urgent. He knows... He doesn't... We'll say, we say it all the time. Don't leave it in the hands of the judges. And it doesn't seem like he wants to at all. A, a bit of a concern I do have with Usman, though, and this is obviously going to be a factor now that he's not, not with Usman, with Masvidal, is now that Usman is going to be fighting Masvidal, Usman is going to be thinking, hey, I don't need to fear what this guy can do on the ground anymore. So he could maybe go back to more of a wrestling-style base that found him so much success against Tyron Woodley, Damian Maia, and so forth on his way to the top. Has Usman got the takedown defence? Not Usman. I'm getting them mixed up here. I'm on a real mess right now. Has Masvidal... This is what happens when you don't have notes for your fighters prepped. Has Masvidal got the takedown defence to neutralise Usman? Because I saw what happened against Damian Meyer. Meyer got on his back straight away. Yes, Masvidal found a little bit of success later on in the first round. But in my opinion, that was a fairly comfortable Damian Meyer victory. And then, I think wrestling's, I think Masvidal's strong, but I don't think he's strong enough to deny Usman, especially in the clinch. Usman is a nightmare when it comes to those clinch situations. Mm-hmm. It's also a difficult question to answer because you don't know what kind of shape mm-hmm. he's in. Because obviously he's taking it on six night days notice, so you would like to think that 
he's not a, he's not an unintelligent man. He's gonna think he's in some kind of shape, but is his shape the kind of shape he want to be in to be fighting Usman on Fight Island? And obviously, what also you've got to consider as well is something we haven't mentioned at all tonight so far is how mm-hmm. hot it's going to be in that arena because that is going to be insane. I mean, in terms of timing for fights, aren't they doing it fighting early in the morning rather than late at night? My I believe or... the main event started around 5 o'clock their time in the morning. So what will be our time on that one? I think for us it will be about... Obviously, Clay's on Canada time, so he's on. Yeah, is it going to be like normal? It'll be it'll be normal pay per view time for the uh, U.S. Canadian American? Canadian market. So it's going to be a bit similar to what yeah. happened with two or four when Bisping fought Henderson. Oh, like five, six yeah. in the morning. Which is one of the most <laughs> surreal experiences when you watch that pay per view back, because you've got like loads of bleary eyed Manchurians just sort of like half hearted <laughs> yeah. everything, just like. Uh... <laughs> but. My friend was there as well. He got the first train home at 11 o'clock. So, yeah, my friend was there. Hell of a card, mind you. I, I've said yeah. that for a long yeah, time. Full of finishes. And, and the main event as well was a great fight. Really underrated fight as well. Hopefully, this, this one's going to be underrated as well. Because Usman is going to need to fight the performance of his career to try and get this done. Because I think, yes, we... We've seen what he's able to do with his striking. We've seen the big knockouts. We've seen what he did to Darren Till, Cowboy Cerrone, Ben Askren. In my opinion, if Masvidal's going to win this fight, it's going to be early. I can maybe see him just going balls to the wall and just thinking, hey, I'm taking this on seven days' notice. I've got nothing to lose. I'm just going to go all out and try and get the early finish. If he doesn't, the longer this fight goes on, the more I favour Usman. And I could possibly see I Usman. Agree. I could see Usman winning this fight, fifty forty-five, or finishing a tied Masvidal late on. Yeah, I think the longer this fight, I think it's got to just because he's got a yes. full camp behind him. He's got to just for that reason. He's got to be the favourite the longer it goes. Uh, can Gamebred pull out a haymaker in round five? Of course he can. Absolutely. Is it easy to? Is it harder to do when you're tired? Of course it is. So, yeah, I think Usman is going to be the. He's definitely the advantage out of the two of them right now because he's had the full camp and we don't know what kind of shape Jorge is in, do we? To be fair, so we probably won't know until the fight. If the fight happens, yeah. Here's a question for you. Currently, the benchmark when it comes to like short notice title fights. It's Michael Bisping versus Luke Rockhold, UFC 199. Similar situation, what, nine, ten days notice, Bisping jumps off from a Hollywood film set and then knocks out Rockhold in the first round. If Masvidal wins this fight, does that surpass it? In my opinion, yes, and only because of kind of the situation that we find ourselves in with Fight Island and like flying out there as well and obviously the atmosphere mm-hmm. and I mean I obviously these guys are flying out to Yaz Island when are they getting there do we know when they're getting there how many days they get to acclimatize I mean we don't know this I believe every I, fighter bar Usman is in Fight Island already yeah because that was my next question because I don't know, you know what I mean they, I mean that's a different ball game. If he goes over there, he's going to have less time to acclimatise than mm-hmm. everybody else. 
So for me, just for that reason, then I would say it would surpass it just for the situation and the, the kind of the, the nasty situation we find ourselves in worldwide. For me, it would surpass it. I have heard one theory. I don't know where you stand on this one. I've heard a theory that if the logistics of getting Usman and Masvidal are too much, that they can't get to Abu Dhabi in time, that they'll hold the majority of the card over on Fight Island and then do the main event at the Apex. <laughs> That's crazy. What? <laughs> I, didn't, I haven't heard that one, though. No. Well, there was a story that they considered doing that for John Jones and Gustafson, because that was going to be in Vegas originally. And one of the ideas was that they would hold every fight by the main event over in Vegas and then do uh, Jones and Gus <laughs> in California. That's WrestleMania, isn't it, what happened this year? That is WrestleMania kind of standing what happened this year. Pre-recorded. <laughs> yeah, that'll be pretty interesting, seeing John Anik be like, all right, guys, back to you in uh, Florida. <laughs> and then they just travel across the world. Two different announcers have to fly Bruce yeah. Buffer and someone else all over. Where's Bruce Buffer going to be? Fight Island, someone else is going to be there. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so, I'm favouring Usman for this one. Where do you two stand? For me, just because there's so many question question marks over Jorge, I'm going to say Usman as well. But I think I think I would favour Usman anyway. But I think I'd listen. I'd, again, I'd love to see Street Jesus win this. I think it'd be phenomenal. Can you imagine? You'd never shut him up. It would be an amazing walk, story. I mean, I, I, as long as he brings his BNF belt over, I think that'd be fantastic because he needs to walk out with that 100%. And yourself, Claire? Well, I think just because this is just so ridiculous and <laughs> just all the situation <laughs> that's going on right now, I'm going to say it's Street Jesus. Screw it. Yeah. I'm going to say he's going to win it. Screw it. If he makes it to the octagon, if they announce, like they show off the posters and everything. He's going to win. <laughs> That's my prediction. Destiny. Can you imagine yeah, how difficult destiny. it would be for Dana to deal with now if we actually won? <laughs> Dana would absolutely hate that. So that's our, prediction. we'll to see. that's our predictions for the fight card. I have to say, if the main event happens, it's going to be amazing. Even if it doesn't, we've still got ourselves a very, very strong card, a very intriguing card. And I know we have to deal with this new normal when it comes to the UFC, but... The UFC, to their credit, they've been handling it as well as they possibly can. Hopefully, Fight Island mm-hmm. does more of the same. Fingers crossed that everyone can get through all of the checks, all of the sort of procedures that come with this. If they do, then all credit to the UFC for that. Yeah, I think I think the way they've handled it has been absolutely phenomenal so far. I think they've been really good. I think the fighters, we talked about this before we came on air, like they're just every fighter lately is just fighting like the, the UFC main event. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the amount of finishes we've seen are quality fights from prelims even. I mean, the other day I, I sat down and watched a prelim and I, Carl, you'll know which card it was. I sat down and watched a quick fight and I spent 15 minutes and I got through four fights. Yeah, that was the uh, that was the Jessica Rice and Fia Calvillo card. There were like three first yeah. minute finishes in a row. I'd finished my tea, <laughs> you know what I mean? So like... <laughs> fantastic level of performance by everyone and every, hats off to everyone and I have to say the rest of Fight Island as things stand right now could live up to 251 as well because you've got Robert Whittaker and Darren Till they're going to be fighting Calvin Cater and Dan Ige Flyweight title's going to be on the line Benavidez Figueredo 
Yeah. We've got ourselves some cork and fights coming up, so fingers crossed everybody can stay safe. Fingers crossed that all the cards remain in place as is. And hopefully 251 delivers. Amen. Yeah, man. And on that cheery note, that is all the time we have for this preview show here. I want to say a big thank you to everybody who has been sitting here for about one hour and 45 minutes listening to us not blithering on about mixed martial arts. <laughs> I want to say thank you to all the support we've been having on the channel. We've had a big increase in subscribers. We're always trying to do new things on this channel. I've got a couple of new ideas which I hope to develop over the next couple of weeks, so stay tuned to that one. Uh, on that cheery note, I've been Carl Bainbridge. That's been Gareth Kyle. Thank you for That's listening. That's been Claire Richardson. Yeah, thank you for listening to me blabble for all We hope you hour. enjoy UFC 251, and we're going to be back next month when we talk about Daniel Cormier versus Stephen Miocic 3. Until next time, bye bye for now. This is the INC.